0: Hi, this is Big Talk, Michael Glab here. Uh, I just want to give a shout out and a thanks to Alex Ashkin, who last week had his debut As an alternative interviewer on Big Talk, uh, Alex last week had as his guest Jane Cooper Smith, who is the uh, founder and co-owner of Hopscotch Coffee, as well as being the city's point person for small business development. He did a terrific job. He'll be back again later as time goes by. We're trying to get more voices on this program. We're trying to reach into groups and communities that, frankly, I'm not a part of. So that's coming up. And he also is going to fill in for me next month when I go under the surgeon's knife to get a new piece of hardware put in one of my joints, my hips specifically. So that'll be coming up. Ooh, hooray for me. In any case, I'm excited today because my guest this week is a fellow I frankly should have had on years ago, because he's one of those people who I love to have on this show. He's a Bloomington institution. He's one of those people who defines Bloomington, is defined by Bloomington, if at all possible. He can be defined. And I'm speaking of a gentleman by the name of Michael Redman. Michael
1: Redman, welcome to Big Talk. Thanks. Good to be here. Good luck on your hip replacement. It's it's really the, the hip thing to do right now. So. Uh, at our age, I'm telling you, man. You know, when I was a
0: kid, I would hear about people getting hips, and I'd say, oh, old people. And right, guess exactly. what? <laughs> I'm an old people. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Redman, publisher, photographer, general art figure in this town. I mean, that's the best way I could put it. Would you agree with that? You're a general
1: art figure? Oh, I don't know. I just define myself as living in Bloomington and doing what I want to do. And that's what you have
0: done for a long time. A long Uh,
1: time.
0: Yeah. Uh, I want to tell you a quote I got from somebody. It's about you. Bear with me a second. I'm not going to tell you who gave this quote, just in case it makes you mad. (laughs) (laughs) Quote. This is about Michael Redman. He is a passionate and thoughtful man, sarcastic, egotistical, and a good friend. How about that one? I'll go along with all those. <laughs> no arguments, huh? No arguments. So if I tell you who it was, you're not going to—it's not going to ruin the relationship.
1: Nah, uh, probably not. We'll see.
0: <laughs> it is uh, the president of WFHB's uh, board, Emily Jackson.
1: Oh, sure. Sure. That makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah. So you're egotistical? Oh, uh, I don't know if I would use that word. I'm convinced. <laughs> I was waiting for the
0: other shoe to drop. I think oh, you've dis- given me both shoes. Yeah. Well, if you are egotistical, you have a lot to be egotistical about. You have done so much in so many different ways regarding art and publications and publishing and writing and photography that uh, you have every right to have a big head. You know, I noticed that you uh, graduated from Avon High School. And I I have no idea what Avon is. Avon apparently is a town a couple of counties
1: north of Bloomington in Hendricks County. How long were you there? Forever. I went... (laughs) I went 12 years of school there. Back in that day, Avon was a farming community mostly and partially a bedroom community for Indianapolis. Oh. Um, It was a big deal when we got a stoplight. Uh, (laughs) Before that, it was a blinker. Um, (laughs) And then we got a drugstore. But uh, so now when I go up there, which is rarely, I don't, recognize it anymore now it's it's just strip malls
0: a, a creeping urbanization I right, assume right yeah. it's
1: about oh so, 10 or 15 miles west of Indianapolis so Indianapolis has stretched out to there
0: what kind of things did you do when you were a kid what did you know you were going to grow up to be this this wild crazy man artist
1: yeah of course <laughs> um I don't know what i did i uh read comic books and uh had three siblings and we had a uh, about a half acre garden every year and in high school i was the editor of the high school paper and uh-huh. you know which makes it sound important but the fact that we only had 72 people in our graduating class you know, when one of them had to do that. <laughs> yeah.
0: The other 71 had other things to right, do. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: They were actually, like, playing sports and, and doing things like that, having fun.
0: Well, when did you first discover that you wanted to write a report?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I did a uh, a comic book fanzine with a friend when I was 14 or 15. Probably that was what started it. Now, comic books play a
0: big role in your life because uh, I believe it was back in 1978 or so you began running, and I—I I guess that means you owned right 25th Century Five and Dime Comic Book Store.
1: Yeah, actually, at at that point it was called Fool's Paradise, but it eventually became 25th Century. Now was this your own brainchild and your own project? Yeah, there were um, comic book shops were starting to appear around the country a couple of years before that, and comic books had always been something in my life, so it seemed like a good idea. Were you one
0: of those kids who read Mad Magazine? Oh, of course. Loved Mad Magazine. Yeah. The comic books that you sold at that place, was it the, uh, the the regular stuff that's being turned into big blockbuster movies these days? The Marvel Comics guys, the Stan Lee stuff
1: and all that? It was all the comics. We did those and we did like Undergrounds and, you know, Arkham and the Freak Brothers and stuff like that. And we did uh, self-published comics. Uh, we didn't publish. We sold self-published. Companies. Right, right. Whatever we can find.
0: I'm told by people who are in the know, because I've only been in this town since 2009, that they constantly run into people who have fond memories of that place from when they were kids. And they're adults now. And they, they love those memories.
1: Yeah, I um, I constantly might be exaggerating, but it happens occasionally. Mostly what those people tell me is that it was one of the few places in Bloomington where they felt comfortable being. It was like a refuge for them. I ran into the son of a friend recently, and we talked for a while, and he was a customer back when he was a kid, and now he's not a kid. But he told me that at one time I was his pop cultural guru. (laughs)
0: <laughs> hey, you look like a guru, for gosh sakes. So, let, uh, let me tell you, we're doing this uh, interview via Zoom, so I'm looking at a, a video image of Michael Redmond here. Uh, he's got this very thick white beard. He's got this long, flowing white hair. And interestingly enough, I believe it was the first time I ever met you several years ago. It was on the street. Some event was going on.
1: And oh, you, I think I remember that. It was at People's Park. Yes, And I was doing photos. I think.
0: Yes. Of something. Well, at the moment you were leaning against the car like a like a hoodlum uh, teenager hanging out. Yeah, that sounds about right too. <laughs> and in any case, you had all this white hirsuteness suitness, and then on top of that, you had a white shirt, white pants, and white shoes. You were like uh, like some Anglo god. <laughs> That's pretty much how I see myself, yeah. (laughs) I knew you were an egotist. (laughs) I've been told. Well, it wasn't just comic books that you've been involved in. You've been involved in so much publishing, largely publishing, writing, and reporting. Uh, For instance, in 1974, you started publishing, I don't know, alone or together, you tell me, Primo
1: Times. What was Primo Times? So the way that happened is that after I graduated from IU, my girlfriend, who later became my ex-wife, and I left for a couple of years and lived near Boston in an old farmhouse and a couple other things. And I came back and I saw Primo and I wrote a story about a comic book convention I attended that week and slipped it under their door. And then the next week, uh, it was one of their front page articles. So I went back and started working with these two other guys, Bob Sloan and Vic Brock, who were publishing Primo at the time. And then it became the three of us doing it. And that Uh went on for several years. So it was going on before you got involved. I think about a year before I got involved.
0: It called itself the Indiana Magazine of Popular Culture. I also noticed that Peter Lo wrote for that uh, outfit for uh, once or twice at
1: least. It's such a convoluted history. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, when I joined Primo, it was a weekly and was a weekly for several years. And then some people from Fun City, which was Another weekly in town that was run by Leon Varjan, if you're oh. familiar with that name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Leon quit publishing, so Peter and Don Barry and a couple other people came over and joined our staff. And then we started publishing Bloomington Examiner, which was aimed wow. at a town audience rather than a um, a younger audience. A um, town audience? Yeah.
0: What's the distinction between a town audience or a young audience?
1: Back at that time, the distinction was uh, west and east of about Dunn Street. And gradually, the the counterculture people and, you know, the people who graduated from IU kept opening up shops and stuff and moving west. And now it's Bloomington is pretty much all that so when we decided to do that weekly we decided to turn primo into a monthly magazine rather than a newspaper and our aim was to get statewide distribution huh uh and so what it was 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 a uh, alternative news weekly most of the time yeah with you know national news from some syndicates that you wouldn't see in the herald times and mostly local stuff and mostly cultural, but we did like PCB articles and things like that. Was it the kind of
0: thing where you could actually eat and pay rent off the job?
1: (laughs) He laughs. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. You could do that if you didn't have to pay rent or eat. (laughs) Everyone worked for free except for the ad salespeople. After a couple of years, uh, the other two people and I decided we would take this big leap of faith and pay ourselves, and we paid ourselves $15 a week. Wow. Um, and I think that was the most I ever made from publishing. What else did you do to, to, to pay the rent? During part of that time, I was teaching high school, uh-huh. the alternative high school.
0: The alternative high school. Yeah, that's the one that uh, some people from that high school went on to found the Harmony School, right?
1: Right, right. The alternative high school was part of the public school system and was set up to attract people who weren't doing well at North or South. So, what were you teaching over there? Uh, Whatever I wanted to. Photography. We did a uh, one quarter. Uh, I taught a journalism class where we did a daily newspaper. Ah, I taught a auto maintenance class where mostly what I did is teach people how to, where to put the oil and how to jump batteries and, you know, really simple stuff. And mostly art. Mostly art.
0: You you know, that's funny. What? When you were a kid in high school, did you take shop class or industrial arts? Uh,
1: I took it for one semester. It was required.
0: Right, right, right. It, which I guess you can't find that anywhere these days. Oh, is that true? It's what I, from what I understand, uh, working with your hands is not thought of as worth teaching these days. Yeah, I
1: think that's about to change.
0: Hey, when, what is with uh, the real times? You haven't mentioned that one yet. I noticed that you were involved in that from about 1979
1: on. Uh, that's another convoluted story. Oh, brother. At one point, the organization that was publishing Primo Monthly and the Bloomington Examiner had a meltdown. As has almost every other alternative newspaper in this town so for a summer peter lopalato and i published what was essentially a shopper and then we decided we didn't want to do that anymore so i started real times and he started the writer at the same time and i did real times as a weekly or a bi-weekly for i don't know how long two or three years and then decided that we wouldn't do it for a summer and we would put together a city magazine called in Bloomington. Huh. And then that never happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because at the same time I was doing that, I was running my comic book shop and had two infants and I think there was something else. So I decided that probably starting another venture where I made no money was not my best plan. Yeah.
0: How do you figure that Peter Lopalado has been able to survive all these years with his writer magazine up to and even including this horrible time when nobody's surviving because of COVID?
1: There are a couple essential things about publishing uh, a magazine or or a alternative newspaper, and they both are financial. Yeah. Uh, Peter's a great ad salesman. Ah, he was our ad salesman for part of part of when we were doing Primo, and he has a lot of contacts, and he's really good at that. And the movie series.
0: Yeah, yeah, that helps.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you know, that was that was basically why I stopped Real Times is because I'm a horrible ad salesperson. You tried? Oh yeah, I sold all the ads, but I. It was hard for me to get to the point where I said, buy this now.
0: You got to close.
1: Yeah, right. That's exactly right. That was a bad closer.
0: You know, and I'm one of those kind of guys who if a person is showing or indicating no, well, you say, okay, that's it. I sort of respect the no. Yeah. But to be good at it, you have to ignore the no.
1: Right, right, right. That, and Peter's really good at that. I mean. You know he's not impolite. He's just persistent, and you know that's why he's lasted for however many years it's been since then. Well, you should get a job with him. Well, you should work on that, Mister. You know, actually, I wrote film reviews with him for for him for a short time, and got the same amount of pay that that I got from everything else,
0: and uh, the same amount of pay you got from that daily newspaper from the high school, I think, huh? That's right,
1: exactly, exactly. Well, no, actually. I got paid regular teacher salary then, so I was. Right. That was the only time in my life where I've ever made a decent amount of money.
0: So is the idea being that you don't care about money, you know, other than you know when there's a knock at the door?
1: Right. Actually, I'm really good at at finding things I need. I am a, have been a a uh, habitual garage sale shopper since the 80s and sometimes i'll like not this last summer because there were no garage sales but uh most weekends during season i'll spend like four or five hours a day out doing garage sales so i don't need much money i figure you can either have money or you can have time ah and i chose time
0: You know, that's fascinating because I'm reading a book right now called Dark Money by Jane Meyer, Uh and it starts off with a a profile of the family life of the Koch brothers. Those are the guys who have the big fossil fuel. and I know those
1: guys. I I know who those guys are. But But They're not not friends of mine.
0: (laughs) No, they wouldn't be primarily because you're the exact opposite of what they were. Their whole lives were dedicated not just to accumulating money,
1: but accumulating money. Right, and power in the right wing.
0: Yeah, that's very much what this book is about. I highly recommend it, by the way. If you get a chance, grab it. In any case, uh, uh, lots of publishing went on in your life, lots of writing, photography. You're still doing photography, as a matter of fact, I don't know, how many years has it been? You've been the official photographer for Lotus Fest?
1: Well, Lotus has a number of photographers, and I don't have any idea what that number is. A dozen, maybe. I'm one of those people, and I don't know how many years. Many. Did you get to just go wherever you want and take pictures? You know, I'm the guy that gets to do that. (laughs) Other people have... uh, assignments like uh you know go to this show and take pictures of this person on stage but what i like to do is take photos of people at lotus fest yeah rather than people performing at lotus fest the 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 crowd and the the street scene and you know the backstage stuff is much more interesting to me than than trying to take this you know a a Millimeter better picture of this person performing than the other 50 people who are taking pictures of that person performing can do. It's
0: ironic because a good friend of yours makes her living going to rock concerts and writing about them, uh, as a matter of fact, for the Chicago Tribune, and that would be Chrissy, Chrissy Dickinson. How did you kids meet?
1: Uh, Another convoluted story. We first met. Back when she lived in town and was a member of Sally's Dream, which was an all-girl punk band. And we both lived in upstairs at the Allen Building, uh, which is the building the Uptown Cafe is in. At that time, they were cold water flats. I mean, you had literally only cold water in your kitchen and shared bathrooms. And it was really cheap. And it was mostly um, artists and musicians and writers and poets and so on. Right um, there,
0: right there off the square.
1: Right, right. That um, must have been an exciting time. That was a great time. My store at that time was under where the Uptown Bar is now. And I lived upstairs and ate at the Uptown. And, then, you know, the Uptown Bar was my social scene. so. Some days I never left the building. Chris and I met then, and she and the rest of Sally's dream left Bloomington to make it in Boston for a couple of years. And eventually she ended up writing for the Chicago tri- Trib and living in Chicago. And then she came down for a party at Emily Jackson's house, who was also in that band. Drummer. Uh, right. And we uh, were talking during that time, and then our romance started. On Facebook.
0: Wait, uh, Facebook?
1: So, not long ago. Eight or nine years ago, I think. At, at our age, that's
0: nothing. That's the sleep. Right, you're of right. A you're right. It feels yeah. like yesterday. Interestingly enough, Chrissy Dickinson has written for a publication that I wrote for for a long time. I wrote for the Chicago Reader about 20 years. And uh, she has done some stuff. As a matter of fact, she did a piece on Bloomington as a real gem in the Midwest. And uh, part
1: of it had to do with you and your comic book store. Oh, of course. Do you see the egotistical part right there? Yeah, of course I do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know, speaking of egotists, there is a guy that I understand you're a big fan of. This guy died, what was it, about a year, two, three years ago? Again, at our age, a year or 10 years is the same thing.
1: Especially during this past seven or eight months. No one knows what day of the week it is, but a lot of people don't even know what season it is anymore. That's right. In any case, I understand you're a big fan of Leonard Cohen. I am a big fan of Leonard Cohen, and he died within a day of when Donald Trump was elected. 2016? Is that true? Yeah, he he prided himself on his timing, and that was perfect timing.
0: Yeah, get out while the getting's good. Yeah, yeah. In any case, on election night this year, you posted on social media his video of the song Democracy. Why'd you do that?
1: Because I was hoping that we would become a democracy again.
0: (laughs) Hey, the way I look at it, though, it's democracy that gave us Donald Trump.
1: Yeah, but I don't think it was democracy that kept us Donald Trump. Leonard Cohen is my, I don't know, high priest. Is that so? He's my, along with sex, drugs, and rock and roll, he's been one of my most important teachers. By the way, you have just
0: told everybody who's listening how old you are. That—that <laughs> <laughs> That is an identifier if I've ever heard right, one. Right, right. You're one of the first five years of the baby boomers.
1: Yeah, I don't know when that happens, but I certainly am in the middle of the baby boomers. And I find it funny
0: that these days, the very young generation now just cannot stand
1: the baby boomers. It's like, get out of the way, would you? Among a lot of the other boomers, the feeling is mutual. Uh, (laughs) When you were a young
0: punk kid... And I was just... I was the-
1: never a young punk kid.
0: Oh, you, you, I you. was a young
1: hippie kid.
0: Okay, that's the
1: distinction.
0: When you were a young hippie kid, you were saying things like, never trust anybody right. over 30.
1: You know, then a couple decades later, that that uh, slogan changed to never trust anyone under 30.
0: <laughs> Depending on where you are. Right, exactly. Over but- or under that bar.
1: So at this point, are you trustworthy? What I remember, I'm trustworthy at telling you about. (laughs) What What I don't remember, I'm not so trustworthy because they might be fairy tales. Is that
0: a lack of memory intentional?
1: Probably at times it is. I never did any of the things people said I did. I'm positive. I'll bet there's a lot of stories that go on about you. There are a few, and I deny every one of them no matter whether I did them or not.
0: Hi folks, come on back next week for part two of our conversation with Michael Redmond on Big Talk. We'll talk about a lot of things, including the Bloomington Day of the Dead Community Altar, the 15th annual, it's going on right now, even during this lockdown, you'll find out how to see all of the displays.
1: We'll see you next week.